to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to today's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing wonderful. I bet because the weather is nice, right? It's March. The weather's nice. I got to sit out in the sun a Me little too. Bit. Look, I'm pink. I know. My face is pink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the sun makes me happy. Me too. It's that time of year when you don't know how to dress. Because you yep. put on, it's chilly in the morning and you go outside and then by the end of the day, it's 80 degrees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are having some big weather swings and like Sunday, it's going to be 84 and sunny. And of course, I sleep on Sunday days. So I texted Lori. She's the girl I stay with and in town when I work. And I said, so I think I'm going to sleep on a patio chair next to your pool on Sunday because it's going to be 84 and sunny. She was like, all right, do it. I bet I'm going to have to play hooky. I don't know. <laughs> well, I was enjoying the screened porch today. And it was just finally it's the weather that I can get out there. And I'm loving We might eat dinner outside tonight. Oh, I love that. We'll see. It just depends on what the temperature is at dinner time. But yeah, I love to eat outside. There's something about it. It really is. It, it just makes feels, food taste better. It does make food taste better. That was one thing I was looking forward to with this screen porch was eating outside. Well, now it's time for our weekly good news segment. And today's story was shared by Patty in Michigan. She wrote, I live in Clawson, a two-mile square community fondly called the little city with a big heart. Someone on our community Facebook page was complaining that others aren't shoveling snow from their sidewalks within 24 hours, which is against city ordinance. And Patty, I'm sorry that it's still snowing up there. I know. I'm really <laughs> sorry. I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, what? You're required to shovel snow from your sidewalk? Apparently. Because here in Georgia, it's already gone by the right. time you could get out there with a shovel. <laughs> so one citizen commented that perhaps those neighbors were unable to shovel their sidewalks. And so they started a community assist program. He and others designed wooden stakes shaped like snowflakes, created and painted by a business that donated all materials and labor, which are placed at neighboring homes where the owners are unable to shovel snow themselves and unable to pay for professional snow removal companies. Others in the community see those wooden snowflakes and they know to assist. Citizen shovelers are tripping over each other to be the first to get those sidewalks. What a way to turn a sour comment into a win for our community. I love that. I love that too. What a creative idea. And the grouchy person <laughs> actually did something good because the whole community rallied. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, grouchy person from Clawson. Right? <laughs> yes. That really is great because honestly, there are people that just can't do it and you can help your neighbor out. 
Yeah, it reminds me of that judge that fined this elderly man for not keeping up his lawn care or something. He was in his 70s and had, was undergoing cancer treatment. And he said he just couldn't and he couldn't afford to pay somebody to do it. He couldn't do it because of his chemotherapy. And this judge brought the hammer down on him. Oh, my gosh. And she ended up getting in some trouble for that. And she had to come back and make an apology. I think she was, like, put on probation or something. But, I mean, you just don't know why your neighbor's not mowing the lawn or why your neighbor's not shoveling the sidewalk. So instead of being angry about it, maybe go ask if there's something you can do to help. Absolutely. Well, that's great. Be a helper, not a hater. There you go. So, (laughs) listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. So before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And today I'm going to talk again about Branch Basics. Sherry and I are both big fans of Branch Basics. Have you tried the dishwashing tablets yet? I have not. Well, that's just been the challenge of trying to be clean-ish and also washing my dishes in the dishwasher. And I'd never been able to find something that worked, but they sent me some of their dishwashing tabs and they really are doing a great job. So That's I'm officially... <laughs> I didn't tell you, I bought my husband a brand new white. My husband wears an Auburn ball cap like 23 hours out of the day, I think. And I bought him a white one for going out, but he decided to wear it to work. Why, I don't know, but that's a man <laughs> thing it, for Sherry. you. It became grungy gray very quickly because he constantly readjusts his hat. So the bill was just black. And yeah, I can imagine I'm it. cringing. I'm like, dude, I just bought you that hat. Why did you do this? I sprayed it with the all-purpose spray. Yeah. And took a little brush and brushed it and threw it in the washing machine and it came out white. I mean, he works in a dirty warehouse. So that's my testimony to Branch Basics. Well, it just works. You know, when I was looking for a non-toxic cleaning company, I tried a whole bunch of things, but you want it to be non-toxic, but you want it to work and you want it to be easy. And what I love is, like you just said, they have this concentrate and then you make the all-purpose cleaner out of it. You make the streak-free cleaner out of it. And it's like you add two drops or something to the bottle of water, but you're not paying for water because when we go to the store and we buy normal cleaning products, they're mostly water. They've mixed it for you and you're paying for water. But with Branch Basics, you order the concentrate. I'm on my second bottle of concentrate ever. Yeah, I just opened my second bottle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I'm doing laundry with it and cleaning everything with it. So I think it's a really great value because so often when we switch to something that's better, we think it's going to be a lot more expensive. But I swear, I think it ends up costing less. Probably. By the time you count in your detergent and window cleaner and yep, I ca- think you so. know, countertop spray and all of that, it not only is it simple, but it's also economical. And it's clean, clean cleaning. So if you want to know more about Branch Basics and save a little money trying them out, go to jenstevens.com slash branchbasics. And if you use the promo code cleanish, C-L-E-A-N-I-S-H at checkout, you'll get a special savings on all starter kits. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. 
This week, we are going to talk to a prior two-time guest, therapist and author, Mary Joy. She joined us on episode 37 to discuss her book on how to break free from codependency. And she was back with us on episode 46, giving tips for effective boundary setting. Today, she joins us to talk about a subject that came up in both of those episodes, narcissistic abuse, and to dig a little bit deeper into the subject of gaslighting. I think we are all familiar these days with that term, but what is it exactly? What are the telltale signs? How many times have you been a victim of gaslighting and not even realized it? Or maybe even worse, you knew you were, but you did not know how to extricate yourself from the conversation without feeding it and giving the abuser power and making the situation worse. So Mary's going to help us better understand this method of manipulation and how to avoid being a pawn. Thank you for joining us again today, Mary. It's always a joy to chat with you. Thank you, Jen and Sherry. Subject near and dear to my heart. I think gaslighting is a term that gets overused and misused sometimes. Well, good. We'll be glad to dig in and clarify exactly what it is and what you just said. How is it misused? How is it overused? That sort of thing. Do you want to start there? I know we were talking about narcissism and gaslighting. Where would you like to start? And do those things always go hand in hand? Let's just dig right in. Gaslighting, we have a sense of humor here, all of us. And a narcissist may have invented the term gaslighting because it's so innocuous and benign, people don't know what it means. It's brainwashing. Let's just call it what it is. It is systematic brainwashing. It came from a term from a 1940s movie that no one even knows about anymore. I think someone may be making a remite. Yes, it's called Gaslight. It was about a man who conned a woman who was an opera singer. She was vulnerable. Her aunt just died. Her aunt was murdered. He said, let's move back to where your aunt was murdered in London. So he takes her back there and he's trying to search for her aunt's jewels and he turns the gaslights on and off. And she says, why are the gaslights going on in the attic? And he said, you're crazy. Okay. So how did that get translated into narcissistic abuse? Something so complex. And like I said, it's brainwashing. He was brainwashing her. Trying to convince her that she couldn't believe her own eyes and ears and what you know is true is not true. And and trying to convince you that, yes. How does that go hand in hand with narcissistic abuse? It goes hand in hand. Brainwashing does because in order for them to do what they do, they have to convince you that you are connected to them. So very succinctly, I'm going to give you the physiology of it. It's a trauma bond and a trauma bond feels like love, but it isn't. What they do to you through intermittent reinforcement, people can Google that term, intermittent reinforcement. They're wonderful and horrible. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, wonderful, horrible, and cycles of it. We call it love bombing and discard in pop psychology, and therapists call it they highly value you, and then they devalue you, and then they discard you. So it's a, it's a, it's an evaluation of high esteem, then a devaluation, then the discard. Sometimes it's simultaneous. Because that passive aggressive thing, like, wow, you look great in that outfit, but I'll bet you'll feel better in it when you lose 20 pounds. Do you hear some, they just paid you a compliment and criticized you and you're standing there going, well, well, which one is it? And then you walk away feeling a little confused. So that's a very minor sign of brainwashing. They've made you doubt yourself, the way you look, the way you feel. They do that in big scales. This is exactly how someone who's been trafficked or abused believes they're really truly connected and they can't leave battered women same thing can't leave 
they convince you no one will want you, nobody will have you but me. So what they're doing is convincing you of one thing. So sometimes the trauma bond creates an invisible handcuff, an invisible prison. It's not real. It's manufactured. So physiologically, you get dopamine and endorphins and serotonin and the trust hormone of oxytocin, which is very dangerous to get because that's what they're giving to you. And then when they discard you, you're getting cortisol and adrenaline. So you start chasing after the good one. You start doubting the bad one. Then they've convinced you that you're addicted and you actually can get physiologically, quote unquote, addicted to them. It's a form of addiction through a trauma bond, through chemical reactivity. Do they know what they're doing? Mm -hmm. Do they know the name for it? Probably not, but they know exactly what they're doing to you. They know. Were these people somehow, I want to use the word trained, but I mean, that's probably not the right word, but were they trained to behave this way? They watched this behavior in somebody else, or is this something just internal to them? That's the nature nurture debate. And there's no right answer for that. One of my professors said hundred percent nurture, hundred percent nature. So what I have seen just in practice is that some are born that way, some are made that way, but think about it. They have a choice at some point. They do have a choice at some point and they choose not to make a choice to be good. They choose to become a narcissist themselves or an abuser themselves and they don't have to make that choice because they know what they're doing. They know how to undo it because when they're love bombing you, they know what to say. They know what to do. The argument does not stand up that they don't know what they're doing. Is it possible that they don't realize that they're doing this if this is behavior that is learned? Up to a point, maybe when they're younger, it's really nice when a young person comes into my office and I see the beginnings of it because personality disorders are, and all these behaviors are developed somewhere around late adolescence and early adulthood. It's nice when they come in there and say, I'm having trouble at school. Nobody likes me. I don't understand what I'm doing. I tell people what to do. It doesn't work. If I catch that early, we can undo it. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. So yeah, sometimes, yes, they are aware. When I was a teacher, you know, I yes. taught for 28 years and it was elementary school. I can think of a few kids that I taught, and I had the same kids year after year as the gifted teacher, and I can think of one little girl that I taught from first grade to fifth grade, and I watched her <laughs> with her characteristics, and I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, especially the gifted ones, because the smarter they are, the, the, yes, the more yes, intelligent and they like, are. So manipulative, and such a pretty little girl, and everyone thought she was perfect, and then like... <laughs> Once you got to know her and the other kids and what she would say to them with a smile and you're like, she didn't care. She wasn't sorry. It was so yes, very interesting. Yes, it's like, have you seen Inventing Anna? Have you seen that I show have on not. Netflix? Oh, wow. It is pretty much what you're talking about. She's Someone a kid? Someone extremely intelligent. Yes, they go through her childhood. She just, I don't like to use the term intelligent for narcissists. They're cunning. Very yeah. different. It's negative yes. intelligence. Yes. But I also I feel like it probably is linked to a high degree of intelligence to be able to be successfully manipulative of others. You have to be able to watch and take in the cues and know what to do. Oh, yes. They're systematic. Are all manipulative people narcissists? Oh, no. Okay. All of us. All of us manipulate. Yeah. <laughs> We do, don't we? We try. Oh, if you have children, you if you have children, you have to be somewhat manipulative, right? Okay, but if you're deviously manipulative, right? Deviously, then you're probably a narcissist, right? I think lying would be a big a big red flag to it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. But if you're trying to get your husband, if you're trying to get your husband to go to the doctor when he hasn't been in five years, that's not 
And you may have to manipulate. That's not devious. But if you're trying to get your husband to go to the doctor to have him get a diagnosis of something you can use, you know, for financial gain, yeah, that's devious. The red flags of that are lying, absolutely, absolutely, and changing their story a lot. They'll change their story. They'll change the narrative. A perfect example, because you all are into intermittent fasting, as am I. And I came from a marriage like that. So one day I'm too fat. I lose weight. And it wasn't one day, but one time I'm too fat. The next time I'm too skinny. So then when I heard I was too skinny, I had still enough autonomy to say, you know, somewhere between too fat and too skinny, I was the right size and you didn't seem to notice. So that's a big red flag. It's always critical. You're either too fat, too skinny, too old, too young to this, to that, or you're not enough. You're either too much or not enough. Those are big red flags if you're too much or not enough. So thank you. I had to think on the spot there. It's a big red flag if somebody's constantly criticizing you. Okay. That's that's good to know. I mean, I feel like there are a lot of people probably in these sorts of relationships and they've evolved for so long that they don't even realize what's happening. Do you see that? Do you see women who come to you in their middle age and say, I don't know what's going on. I think I'm losing my mind. Well, I was one of those. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yes, I see them. And go ahead, finish that. I want to hear the rest. When you first tell a person, it's not you, it's them. Are they in denial? They're resistant. And the resistance comes from the fear of the acknowledgement that they allowed it. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And since, you know, I've written about codependency a lot, codependents don't like to believe they're not selfless people. They usually learn this from trying to keep everybody happy so they can stay happy. They want to cure their own anxiety. They're reading the person. They read that person. Uh Uh-oh, you know, John's in a bad mood today. And they got that from daddy's in a bad mood today. I have to act like a good little girl. So they marry someone like that and say, oh, John's in a bad mood today. I need to act like a good little wife. So what they're doing is morphing themselves. They're not doing it maliciously, though. They're doing it to keep the other person happy so their anxiety is less. So it's a very twisted, maladaptive system of reducing anxiety. That well, and it makes very, sense. It's the trauma bond. Mm-hmm. It's hard to it's hard to confront somebody. Yesterday, Chad was in a terrible mood. <laughs> it's my husband, and <laughs> and I called him on it, but because I'm not a very good soother, Sherry knows this about me. I might try and know that it would help and it would help his mood, but it doesn't, and I just can't. <laughs> then he's no, like not. <laughs> and you know that's not a trauma bond. People have bad days, but yeah. you know you ask how they come in. They don't want to call themselves a victim. So I I do my best not to make them feel victimized. I make them feel empowered. And also they don't like to hear it's a form of self-harm. I'll save that for three or four sessions in. And truly I was three quarters of the way through my book. I was writing a little snippet of my life story because the book's not about me. It's about helping people. Just little snippets to let you know, I know it's not a competition, but I was writing one and I said, oh my goodness, I had to put down the computer, walk away. And I said, Allowing people to harm you is a form of self-harm, and I'm going to have to put this in here, and I'm going to have to do it delicately, but it's powerful because... That is. Wow, they, I could have had a V8 moment. Right. right. Yes, yes. Yeah, if you continually let somebody devalue you and tear down your self-worth, then yeah, that is absolutely you self-harm. Might as well cut. 
You yeah. might as well and that's when you, you also start believing it, I think. It's when you, you start believe believing it. it that it gets even more dangerous. And is that where gaslighting kind of comes in? Because yes. you start to believe lies, and that's the danger of it. Yes. If someone tells you something and you're like, yeah, but that's not true, you can reject it as being true. And you're not really being manipulated because you know that's not true. But then when you start to believe it, you're like, oh, I, I am. And that is me. Yes. And narcissists, especially, we've heard the term flying monkeys, other innocuous terms. They have allies. They seek allies. On the outside, they are philanthropists and outstanding citizens and bosses and wonderful people and creative and genius and everybody loves them and they're gregarious, but at home, they're monsters. So it's hard for other people to believe. You might have one or two friends that have ever seen that narcissist act out on you because usually they're, they're pretty good at keeping themselves together. It's interesting in marriage counseling because we're trained to see them. They usually make sentences like, you know, my wife is so beautiful and she's so precious and I love her with all my heart, but... <laughs> the wiping out everything they said before... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> With that word, but. Yes, they're famous for making I love you, but statements, or I love him or her, but. I love you, but. Watch out for that, because they did negate everything they said before, and here comes the barrage of criticisms, and it's veiled and gaslighted. It's brainwashed. They're trying to brainwash me as a therapist. We're hearing those connective tissue words, those words that that mean something beyond what they think we know. Looking back, I mean, I was in a narcissistic relationship for so long, and I can look back now sort of like almost as an outsider in my life, and I can see all these big moments where I was just like completely manipulated. But the funny thing was he would only go to therapy if I went with him, right? And I'm not really a BSer, so I'm going to just lay it out on the table, right? Well, then he constantly wanted to find a new therapist because you always talk the therapist into believing you. I wasn't trying to talk him into believing anything. I was just putting the facts out there, right? And he goes in there with his little wink and smile and he'd be like, you know how women are, that sort of thing. And then the therapist would be like, no, I don't. Tell me about that, you know? And <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes, that's a good therapist. Uh, yeah. And then he'd be like, we need to find a new therapist. And I'm like, um, I don't run. think the therapist is the problem. Right. <laughs> well, because their, oh. whole, their whole big thing is trying to feel like they're in control. And once they lose that control, oh, yeah. they don't know what to do, right? Right. Let's just deconstruct a narcissist really quickly. Okay. What a perfect example, Sherry. What a great comment, Jen, because they project onto you what they're doing themselves. He was trying to get the therapist on his side, so he projected his malfeasance onto you. So if you want to not be gaslighted, which is, we'll just go right there. If they call you big, fat, lazy, dumb, ugly, and stupid, they feel big, fat, lazy, dumb, ugly, oh, wow. and stupid. They're that easy to figure out. Once wow. you know you've got one, whatever they say to you, then you don't take it personally anymore. Then you can look at them. You don't say this to them. You don't want, not until you have a fast horse to get away, but you can say things like, wow, you must have terrible self-esteem about your body image because you've criticized mine. That's how you just completely get that brainwashing out of you. It has no, no effect anymore when you realize it's a projection and it's not rejection. They're not rejecting you. They're projecting onto you. That is great insight. That is huge. I, I don't think I ever realized that. Oh, yes. They call you. Well, if they're cheating on you, I mean, we've all heard that. If someone's cheating on you, they're likely to accuse you of cheating oh, on absolutely. them. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. 
Same thing, they're projecting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would hear things like, why do you always have to start so much drama? I would like be at work all day and I would come home and there'd be this big dramatic mess like with our friends or something. And suddenly they're <laughs> wanting to call a friends meeting at seven o'clock on a Sunday night. And I'm like, what? What's what a friends happening? meeting? I don't even know. <laughs> what? I'm what like, I was friend? at work all day. And it come to find out, you know, he'd been at my friend who was a hairdresser getting his hair ah. done. And he said, oh, Sherry said this about you. Oh, who then gosh. ran. And it was that constant... And then Stirring it up. he would be the like, flying monkey. see, we can't even have friends because you ruin it with everybody. <gasps> and I'm like, I was at work wow. all weekend. I didn't do any of this, you know? And so now we can know what that that comment meant. It meant we can't have friends because I ruin it for us. Right. Amen. That's, right? And <laughs> yes. I wasn't the one creating drama, though. I constantly would catch myself be like, well, maybe I better not say anything because I don't want to create drama. And they also, he was isolating you that way. He didn't want you to have friends. So he was isolating you. That's uh-huh. exactly just what Jin said. He was isolating you. We can't have friends because of you. We can't have friends because I don't want you to is really what he meant to say. I don't want you to talk to anyone but me because then you might tell people because you're so darn honest, Sherry. I want you to keep your mouth shut and not have any friends and tell them the truth about me. Yeah. That's wow. what really translate. Do you have, when you learn to translate the language of a narcissist, it's a foreign language to nice people, but that's what they're doing. They're projecting onto you with rejection and they're letting everybody else think they're just absolutely amazingly wonderful people. Who has friends meetings? Thank you, Jen. Like who has I friends? Just, <laughs> never heard of If Chad said, let's have a friends meeting, I'd be like, what? <laughs> I, I've heard of family conferences, but not friend right. conferences. Yeah. <laughs> I had all these phone calls and then so-and-so's texting, then somebody's calling and then they're like, well, we all need to meet at this house. We need to sit down and hash this out. And I'm just like, look, I've been at work the last three days. I'm exhausted. I can't do this right now. And I don't even know what this is about. I guess it's good that I've never had to hash anything out with friends. Yay. Is that a good sign? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And is. if you do, you'd give some distance and you make peace and you, yeah. you go right? on with you it. Do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, exactly. I mean, Jen, you've known me a long time. Am I like a drama-fueled person? I mean, you don't try to start drama. I'm kind of like anti-drama. I'm kind of like, that looks like that could be drama. I'm going to go this way. Right. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I I, I call myself a peace-seeking missile. Me too. (laughs) After you live with drama and chaos, Mm. therapists do call narcissists chaos creators because it's just hard to say narcissists over and over and over. It's a chaos creator. Yeah. One of those. That is a great term. Uh, They get bored too. They just get bored and do it. That if, You're right. Don't watch out when they say, I'm so bored because drama is Something right bad's the about to happen. I just, mm-hmm. I think about that student again and everywhere she went, there was drama with the friend group yes. and this friend and that friend. And it swirled around her everywhere yes. she went. And, it's and negative right. attention. They love mm-hmm. that negative attention. They but they like it. to come out as the hero. I was going to yes. say, did she act victimized? Like nobody yes. understood her yeah. and everybody was mean to her? Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the fragile narcissist. Well, you know, Sherry, you said you were in a narcissistic marriage. Did you ever tell people, I'm in a narcissistic marriage. You need to feel sorry for me. Do you have $100,000 I could borrow? <laughs> no. no. No, but a fragile narcissist will do that. They'll go, okay. I'm so victimized. And if anyone has seen Inventing Anna, perfect example. My father has to send me money from Germany. And will you let me take a wire transfer and wait a while? She means she portrays herself as a victim. So science calls them fragile or vulnerable narcissists. They are not fragile and they're not vulnerable. They present that way. And that's what a confidence man does. A con artist is someone who gains your confidence and then destroys it. 
they ask for a hundred dollars, they'll pay you back two hundred, and the next time they'll ask for a thousand, and they'll pay you back five hundred, and then the next time you get nothing back. Right. It's mm-hmm. systematic. That's how they know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Fragile ones are dangerous. Ted Bundy. <laughs> she was great at pretending like she was a victim. And yes. that was the thing. Like she would be the victim and then the teachers are all trying to figure it out. And I'm, look, I've known her a long time. Let me have, let me tell you yes. some things. And, and real victims, <laughs> real victims, as we said earlier, we don't want to be seen, you know, anybody who's been victimized, nobody wants to be known as a victim. Like we want that label off of us, stigma off. We want to be victorious. I want to thrive. I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. So real victims do not say, I've been victimized. They might do that in a therapist office. They may do it for a little while. You know, divorces make you feel like a victim. Loss makes you feel like a victim. Grief makes you feel like a victim. It's okay for a while, but usually they'll come out of that victim thinking. But when people use victimization or sympathy to suck you in, be very wary of that. That's a great tip. So if you see somebody who's always trying to get your sympathy and always the victim, look and see if they, how they might be manipulating you. Ted Bundy hitchhiked with Cass on his arm. My ex always had it. sick and dying parents. Really? Yes. I'm just, you can tell, other than kids, I haven't been around any. I haven't, I don't know if I've really known any narcissistic adults. Good for I, you. How do you avoid I that? You are lucky. I might have. <laughs> But just not realized it. I don't know. You may not have been close enough to them. I mean, it could have been a boss or somebody that you just had to see brief fleeting times during the day. I do have a boss I think was a sociopath, but that's not the same thing. How is a sociopath different from a narcissist? Well, they're not really that much different. (laughs) Okay. Well, okay. (laughs) Psychologically, without giving you a diagnostic manual lecture, there's a cluster of personality disorders and narcissism borderline, antisocial, which is what we call sociopaths, and histrionic, which are the very shallow, glib people that don't really care one flip about you. You know, if you tell them someone's passed away, oh, well, I lost my dad too. You'll be fine. That's that glib thing. Lack of empathy. They all have a lack of empathy. They all are exploitative. They all are grandiose. Even the fragile narcissist is grandiose because I'm just, I'm more pitiful than anyone else. They're grandiose about their victimization. It's on the same cluster of disorders. So a sociopath and a narcissist are very closely related. I think about this boss and it was really interesting after I stopped working at that place where I I worked with this boss, I, I saw her later and she was always so nice and friendly. And then it was like, she didn't even know me. Because she had no more use for me. And I'm like, yes. oh, my gosh. Yes. The value, devalue. <laughs> it was Idealization, so devaluation. interesting. Yes. So interesting. But then you realize, you're like, oh, the things other people were saying were actually true all those years. And I, she was showing me one face versus, anyway, so interesting. People can be very devious, can't they? Yes, they idealization, devaluation. And if you were of no use to her, many people in our business talk about it in this way. We say they either use you or lose you. And if they need something from you, they're nice. If they don't need you, they're not. And that's why we say they lack empathy. Also writing through the book, I said, these people don't just lack empathy for other people. They lack it for themselves because just what you said, Jen, you were on to her after a while. You just went, oh, now I get it. And then you distance yourself from her. So they're driven by a fear of abandonment, trying to keep people negatively satelliting around them. And she failed because you, after time, and the brainwashing didn't sink in with you because you have good boundaries, 
it failed. And so she's going to run out of friends at some point. Most narcissists do. Well, she also, like, I'm a very strong person. And I'm trying to say this without feeling braggy. I don't know how to say it. But I think she realized that I was going to be a tough one to mess with. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Boundaries. I was going to be the person who would be a challenge to manipulate. I don't know. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Boundaries. She always treated me like I was amazing and gave me a lot of latitude because I think she maybe didn't want to tangle with me. I don't know. Am I explaining well, yeah, that well? She knew you were a harder nut to crack, so she was going to really value, put you on that pedestal. And She then... did put me on that oh, pedestal. Yeah. That's the thing. I was like... I could do no wrong, and she let me do a lot of things. And then all of a sudden, when I didn't work there anymore, it's like she had never known me before. And I'm like, what? This is so weird. It was just bizarre. Well, I think they can see personalities or patterns in people that they look at and they are attracted to because they know that they can easily manipulate and control that person. Yes, absolutely. They don't look at a strong person and think, oh, this is a challenge. I'm going to go after this one. No, they want easy prey. Some do, but master manipulators, they do want the challenge. Really? And I was also very useful, I guess. I was very yes. useful. It was worth more to have me on her side. Yeah. And I was but useful uh, versus I maybe yes. I was going to be a loose cannon if I, <laughs> I don't know. But master manipulators do go for the challenge. So they like the you know, we'll just use examples that are very public so I don't have to tell case histories, okay. case studies. Tina Turner, perfect example. Talented, strong, amazing. Would you ever think this woman suffered from battery all those years? No. You never would. And so her ex-husband, and he's deceased now, but he chose the challenge, but he also saw the vulnerability of her because she was young and she wasn't in the music business. So he could brainwash her in one way when he couldn't do it in another and kept her tied to him by being a victimized narcissist. He said, you know, nobody will love me, but you, my family doesn't take care of me. They don't love me. I have no one but you. And so he was evoking her sympathy, but he also got her when she was really young. He took that challenge and he had to control her, that Svengali thing that women can be manipulated if they're very strong, but also they find that little weak link in the chain and they attack that one little weak link and keep tugging on it. And by attrition, they wear you out. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, when I said I'd never known a narcissist, I guess <laughs> I, yeah. I just don't know how to define it. <laughs> Looking back at my younger self, and as we're sitting here talking, and I keep flashing back to scenarios from when I first met my ex-husband and kind of how he clinched me, and how he clinched me should have been my red flags to leave. You know, I was very young and a single mom when I met him. I'd already been with a man who told me I was too fat and ugly for anybody to love as he continually cheated on me. He, My ex knew this about me, so he used that to tell me, well, I'm with you because you're really smart and you're going places, but nobody else is going to want you because you're not desirable. Oh. That should have been a red See flag. See how they did me, it? Right? That's mm -hmm. how he did it. And yeah. I would ask him later, like, why are you with me? Well, because you're smart and you're going to be successful. Wow. But also, he lied to me constantly. I would catch him in lies, and then he would basically tell me I was crazy, that if I didn't want to find these cards from these other women in his sock drawer, I shouldn't be in his sock drawer. 
That's what they do. It's your fault. Like I should it's have your been fault. crying. And Stop I was like, snooping. I was putting your socks away. Yes. What a snoopy, horrible woman you are. So yeah, to me, lying is a yes. huge red flag. Yes. Yeah. I think back but, to this boss yes. again. She would tell one person one thing and somebody else another. Two-faced. And, yeah. Very. Okay. So being two-faced is also a, a red flag. You just said it. There's only two of them. I'm going to make this so simple again. I like to make things simple. As you know, I like to make things really easy for people because narcissists make things really complex and hard. We talked earlier about they want to use you or lose you, not much in between. But really, there's only two of them, the nice one and the mean one. And the mean one is the real one. So there's really only one of them. Remember that when you say, well, but he was so nice two days ago and now he's being so horrible to me. You know, you're so gifted and talented, Sherry, but nobody will want you because of your past. When he knew that about you, you told him your tolerance for bad behavior, and it was very high. This is why codependency is like addiction, because he knew, oh, he said, okay, so, so I can push that envelope. Like if you tell a narcissist or a sociopath, my ex-husband lied to me and he cheated on me, but boy, if he ever hit me, I'd have left him. You've just told them, don't hit it's her. It's okay to lie and cheat. Yeah. <laughs> Lying and cheating, yes. Yes. Got it. <laughs> yes. You're beautiful. Let's get married. But you do need to lose some weight. I mean, yes. right? That's what they do. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. just the downplaying of their bad behavior. So if he smacked me in the back of the head because he didn't like what I said, or he smacks me on the leg and leaves a welt on my leg because I forgot to take hamburger out of the freezer, it was, oh my gosh, I did not hit you. I barely touched you. You're exactly. so dramatic. You're such a drama queen. Right. And so then you start thinking, okay, well, maybe I don't know what a hit is. Right. Yes. A but then the a hits smack get is harder. not a hit. But a smack is not. We're going to do it right in vivo. A smack is not a hit, Sherry. Why would you think I hit you? A hit is a, with my full fist. I just tapped you. You're, wow, if you're I just hit so you, sensitive. You know it. Right. Yeah. And you deserve it, but I didn't hit you. I just tapped you. I hope somebody heard in that conversation how they do it. And you walk away going, I doubt myself. I doubt myself. I doubt myself. I doubt myself. And so when that's you give also them the a red benefit, flag. Oh yeah. If you when give you them start the benefit doubting yourself, doubt, yes. then you know there's a problem. That's the number one. Yeah. So if you're in a relationship that's not perfect because no relationship is and you have challenges in your relationship, whatever they may be, and your spouse, your partner, sometimes it makes you feel a certain way, but you don't really overall doubt yourself. That's the number one red flag of narcissistic abuse. When you give them the benefit of the doubt, they get all the benefit and you get all the self-doubt. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let that sink in. They get the benefit, you get the self-doubt. That is the number one symptom of narcissistic abuse. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they want. They've been brainwashed. They don't know who they are or what they want. Right. That's really good information. Yeah. I'm sure someone listening right now is like, oh. <laughs> so if you find yourself in a conversation with a narcissist and they're manipulating you, how do you extricate yourself from that without feeding it? Without, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like there are things you should or should not say. So how do you gracefully just be like, I'm done with this conversation. I'm not going to feed the monster anymore. Well, they usually interrogate you. So. People aren't going to like hearing this, but it's highly effective. You're talking about extrication, just right. leaving. Because you can't confront them. It will not go well. It will all no. be your fault. The best way to do it, oh, please don't shoot the messenger here. Make it all about them. 
If they ask you a question about you, oh, no, I'm not very interested. I'm a nothing and a no one. Tell me about you. If you keep making it all about them and keep the conversation shallow and don't go to the deep end of the pool with conversation, you can just slip out of that thing because they know just like, like Jen said, it's a boundary. Staying shallow is a boundary. You're not going to dump dive in the deep end of my brain. I'm going to keep this conversation shallow. Like when you first meet someone, small talk. You don't go through the grocery store and say to the person in front of you, I'm going through a divorce and I'm really sad. No. <laughs> you say, gee, the price of chicken is great today. Do you see? Yeah. Just keep the conversation light so uh-huh. you can just kind of walk out on a balloon instead of being deflated as they would like you to be. So don't get into the meat of any conversation. Just and keep don't it get surface. Okay. Don't try to be right. Don't try to prove a point. That's just important. walk away. Yeah. But you won't win. No. You won't win. They set you up for lose-lose. They set you up. It's yeah. it, The win-win is to just let them keep their lose-lose argument and step off the playing field. Now, I wanted to circle back to something from the beginning. You said there are a lot of misconceptions about gaslighting. You know, It is a term we hear all the time. They're like, oh, he's gaslighting me, or oh, I'm gaslighted, or whatever, gaslit, would I guess would be the, the right word for it. But what are some of the misconceptions? It's because it's overused, because... We all say something manipulative. Everybody every day says something that is disingenuous, even if it's just to hide our own flaws. We cut beautiful gemstones to hide the flaws and enhance the shine. People are not gaslighting you if they're just trying to avoid a heavy conversation. And a lot of people that are narcissists will use the term gas. I've been gaslighted. Well, no, they just didn't want to talk to you. They just didn't want to get involved in the drama. A lot of people that really are drama queens and like trauma and chaos, they're trying to suck someone in. And what we talked about earlier, they push themselves out of that conversation. Say, well, they're gaslighting me. They don't want to talk to me. No, they they don't want to talk to you. They didn't gaslight you. They just, they extricate. They They just didn't want to. Didn't want to. (laughs) Okay. Didn't want to. So yeah, they'll just toss that word out. Yeah. it's, It's just overused and... We need to call it what it is. Uh, so, it's yeah, I think that's the key point is it's brainwashing. It's manipulation. Trying to convince you of something that you know isn't true, but then you start to believe that it's true. Right. Yes, conditioning. Just like Pavlov's dog. They ring the bell, they fed the dog. Then the dog would salivate. Then they rang the bell and the dog would salivate and they didn't have to feed the dog. That's how they did it. Very cruel. Very cruel experiment. But that's what a narcissist is doing to your brain. They ring the bell. They give you a prize because we all have a reward center in our brain. You take the bait. You feel good. Then they start ringing the bell. You get no prize and you're still stuck. That's the trauma bond. That's the condition. Right. Okay. And so trauma bond, you've used that word a lot. Can you just explain trauma bond just really quickly? It feels like love, but it isn't. It's a physiological hook created by intermittent reinforcement of cycles of wonderful, horrible, wonderful, horrible. And then that occasional simultaneous, wonderful, horrible. You look great in that dress, but you'd look better if you lost 10 pounds. That's a simultaneous. Is it also like Stockholm syndrome or would Stockholm syndrome be an example of trauma bond? Yes. Like when someone's a prisoner and then they bond with their captor. That is an extreme example. It's it's brainwashing. From my experience, I feel like when I suddenly had clarity one day, I don't know what, I maybe was several little things that got my brain you know, like, what is happening? What are you doing? This needs to stop. When I made that decision that I was not going to engage or participate anymore, and I just said, I'm done, no, or this conversation is over, or I'm not having this conversation with you. Number one, they get 
even more like they're trying to pull you back, pull, 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 pull through like any way they can. But when you hold strong, eventually they're like, I'm not getting anywhere. And guess what? Sadly, they're going to go find a new victim. You no longer matter to them because you can't give them their fix. Right. So that's where you just have to one day believe in yourself enough to say, yes, the buck stops here. This is it. I'm not playing this game anymore. And I think that these people do not get better. That's the thing that's important to understand, you know, because we like to fix things. Sherry and I, I stayed both. for we, 18 years. We, we like to fix. We can make it better. This but, is oh, the yes, year to be better. Right? You believe right. they're, because they're master apologizers. Oh, my goodness. I always say from one red rose to a Rolls Royce, whatever they can afford, they will bring you those ingratiating gifts. They're Trojan horses. They're not gifts. They're Trojan horses. They're intermittent. That's why the intermittent reinforcement is so important to know, because it's not constant. Any of us would be smart enough to leave someone who beat us every day. That's a no-brainer. But when they intermittently, like my ex was about every six months, he came uncorked, but you can't break a pattern until you see it. Just like you, Sherry, it was a long time. And he would say things like, why are you making me do this to you? I told you I was so afraid. He played the victim. I was so afraid of losing you because my father died in an accident right in front of me. And I don't want to lose people I love. So you have to let me know where you are all the time. And I was so young and stupid. I had not gone to therapy. And I wish, it's a good question to ask all of us. If I could go back to my younger self, I would say, please go to premarital counseling. (laughs) Please go to therapy. A therapist would have recognized that in him because I did not. I didn't know what a trauma bond was. I didn't know any of this stuff until I was in my 40s and went back to Mm -hmm. graduate school. I didn't know any of it. I wanted to clarify something from earlier. If you're in a relationship, relationships can improve. Partners can work together. You can work on things. You can come together and solve problems. But if you're dealing with a narcissist, that is one of the relationships that will not approve. Would you say that that's yes, true? Yes, and I know Sherry can attest to it. If someone's narcissistic and they get a good swift kick in the rear by losing a job or maybe an illness or something, they can come back to reality and say, okay, I'm not special. I'm not Superman. But if someone has narcissistic personality disorder, they will never see that. And just what Sherry described too is that expiration date when you're done. It's just like milk in your refrigerator. It'll taste fine one day and then the next day, wow, it's undrinkable. And it's unthinkable to stay with a narcissist. You slowly, by that attrition, you hit rock bottom. But I always say rock bottom is a place to push off from. I like the term rock bottom because codependency is like addiction. So you have a rock bottom, you can push off from it. If the bottom is soggy, you get stuck in it. But when you hit rock bottom, you push away going, Why did I allow this for so long? But you get clarity. And this clarity is like sobriety. That's great. Because the anxiety, it causes anxiety, just like withdrawal symptoms. Then you get clarity. And then the sobriety, you won't go back for, nobody could get me back down that dark trail. You can't get me to go there. What would you tell a person who might be listening and thinking, I think they're describing my relationship, but I don't know because they don't have faith in their own ability to assess the situation anymore. Well, what would you tell them to do? Well, as a therapist, honestly, I would tell you to go to therapy. That said, I know it's difficult and it's not all that affordable. I get it. Even therapists can't afford therapists all the time. And any good therapist goes to a therapist if they have a life of it. But there is so much education, what you all are doing. There's many, many YouTubes on narcissistic education. So I tell them, educate themselves. Education is liberation. 
There's so many good, and please use PhD psychologists and use people that are really, really have knowledge about this, not just the pop psychology people that don't understand what a trauma bond is. And there's many life coaches that are really, really good too. So I'm not discounting them by any means. You don't have to have a degree to be a life coach, but truly find the person who speaks to you that will help you liberate yourself to educate, liberate, educate, liberate, and then celebrate. You get away from them. You're not running away from a narcissist. You're running toward yourself. You are. That's huge. Yes. Now I have a question. Sherry says you have had a new project in the works. (laughs) Well, I'm writing a book called how to navigate the narcissist when you can't go no contact. Cause like you had a boss, you couldn't go no contact. No. You know, I had a narcissistic parent. I had to wait till I was 17 and ran off to college to get away. You have, you know, we all need skills and they're everywhere. I mean, you're going to run into them everywhere, every day in some way, shape or form. I'm trying to help people learn their language, learn a little bit about the neuroscience, just enough to understand it. It's not your fault. We shall see where it goes. I don't know. But there's a lot of that stuff in the codependency book, too, as well. They're not going to victimize you if you recognize what they're doing. Being able to recognize what is happening is like the first step in being able to deflect it. Knowledge is power. Yes, knowledge is power. Was that Socrates that said that? I forget who said that. I don't know. (laughs) I say it all the time. One of those those wise men. But it is. (laughs) Yeah. But it is. But it's true. And, you know. Sometimes the knowledge will upset you and you're like, well, I wish I didn't know that because the the flip side is ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah. You know, you're going through life, ignorance is bliss, but it really isn't. So then you have no. the knowledge and you're like, I want to unsee it, but you can't. You can't. So. And revelation is an epiphany. And last mm-hmm. I checked, epiphanies don't come easily. All epiphanies start with a very dark journey. Right. Yes, that's why they're epiphanies. <laughs> well, Mary... It has been wonderful to have you here today. Tell listeners where they can get in touch with you again. They can find me on winterhavencounseling.com or just Google Mary Joy, J-O-Y-E-L-M-H-C. I'm easy to find on Facebook. And Codependency Recovery, I mean, Discovery and Recovery 2.0 is easy to find. So I thank you. And I hope someone had an epiphany today. And don't be afraid to ask for help. You're not a victim if you're knowledgeable. So thank you, Jen and Sherry. It's always great sharing with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, I want to take a minute to invite you to join the all-new Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. Not only can you interact with Jen and me in a private online community, you can connect with other listeners and community members as well. Each month, I will be hosting a monthly Zoom hangout where we can connect and talk. You can join us in this new VIP community by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. And there you can choose your monthly membership contribution of either $4.99 or $9.99 per month. You can change to a different tier at any time at the end of your month simply by managing your subscription within the platform. Choose the option that feels like the right value to you. For those who truly get value from the podcast each week, we would hope that you would be willing to choose a higher package to help support the work we do on the podcast and the costs associated with it. All right, now it's time for a segment that we call our listener-led lesson. It might be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Laura in Canada. She has a company recommendation based on her experience with them. The company is called Nix. It's K-N-I-X, which can be found at nix.ca for Canada or 
Nix.com for USA. And again, that's K-N-I-X dot C-A for Canada, K-N-I-X dot com for USA. And she said they have amazing customer service. Ordering bras online can be a challenge without being able to try them on, but their online return or exchange process is simple, and their customer service team is so quick to reply via email to resolve any concerns. Laura recommends that you read the About Us section on their website, too, and their Life After Birth project, and she says that all around she is impressed with this company. You can see I didn't know anything about it, <laughs> so I didn't know I've how to say it. I've it, but I've never used it. Okay. So it's bras, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, check it out. At the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener, and today's quote comes from Caitlin in New Hampshire. The quote is, So what if, instead of thinking about solving your whole life, you just think about adding additional good things, one at a time? Just let your pile of good things grow. And that was from Rainbow Roll. And Caitlin wrote, I am honestly not familiar with this author or any of their work, but I stumbled across this quote online and it resonated with me. I always feel like I have a hundred different things that I should change about myself. It can be so overwhelming thinking about trying to change one thing, let alone a hundred. And often I get so overwhelmed that I end up doing nothing. This quote is meaningful to me because it reminds me to stop thinking of myself as a problem to be fixed. If I want to improve areas of my life, don't focus on the negative. Add joy and beauty instead and watch them multiply. And I really love this. And it kind of reminds me of Jen's and my approach to cleaning up our health and our diet and our homes. Just by adding more healthy, good things, eventually those things that are not so good or healthy will be weeded out by the healthier choices. And that's kind of the same thing. You can apply it to life as a whole. Add more good things so much so that they weed out the negative things. Yeah, I think that's true. You're crowding out the negative by adding in the positive. Well, when you start focusing on your wins... And you start, I mean, it's kind of like a gratitude practice. You start seeing all the good and you stop focusing on those little things that maybe you don't love about yourself. What you and focus you start seeing the things multiplies. you do. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I love it. Exactly. So listeners, thank you for joining us today. Make sure to join us in the new Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to be a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 each month. Your support ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. And again, if you're not interested in, you're like, I don't want another social media platform. There's, I'm not going to interact in the community. I'm not interested in that. Think about, you know, consider that you're supporting our podcast. So just like Sherry with her favorite podcast that she, you know, gives $5 a month through Patreon. You never know. You might come on in and decide you like it. You might want to go to one of the Zoom meetings that Sherry has. So join us at lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And we would love for you to leave a review so that we can reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you want to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.